Well, good morning. Welcome to Element Church. My name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here. And, uh, you know, as Trina just mentioned a few moments ago, we have been in a series for the last six or seven weeks together as a church, uh, a series titled Legacy, as we have been walking through the book or the letter of 2 Timothy in the New Testament. 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter. It's the last letter that he's going to write before he is executed in the city of Rome under Emperor Nero in the 60s of the first century. And he was executed largely because of his activity uh, as a preacher, as a pastor, and as a church planter. But before he's executed and knowing that his time is coming to a close, he writes his final letter to this young pastor uh, named Timothy, just trying to provide some encouragement, some instruction, and ultimately trying to lay down and uh, finalize his legacy that Paul wanted to leave before he left this earth. Now, today, we're actually not going to be in 2 Timothy. We have one week left in that series, and we're not going to finish it up today. But I bring that up because the series that we've been talking about and going through and studying has been on my mind a lot this week. Uh, Just a few days ago, uh, I was at a funeral uh, of a man that I've known for a number of years um, and just reflecting on the legacy that he left in his life. Um, He lived an incredible life. He retired as a lieutenant colonel from the U.S. Army. He spent much of his life as both a chaplain with the military, but also as a pastor of local churches around the country. Um, You know, we talked about uh, who he was, what he represented, how he lived his life. And one of the things that they did at the funeral was they talked about not only the legacy that he left, but the legacy that he built into his children and his grandchildren. So they put up a map of the entire world on the screen at his funeral, and they put a star in every spot around the world that either he, his children, or his grandchildren had gone to share the gospel on a short-term trip, a long-term trip, or as a career missionary. And as the stars started to fill up the map, his legacy was that he and his children, his grandchildren, had taken the gospel to six continents and 39 different countries during his lifetime. At that funeral, we talked about who this man was and, and, and the way in which we talked about who he was. We talked about the things that he did and the things that he said. As we think about our own lives, as we evaluate who we are and the way in which we live our lives, when we think about what kind of person we are, unfortunately, most of us don't use the same, the same categories that other people use for us. When we think about ourselves, we usually judge ourselves according to our thoughts and our intentions. But other people understand who we are by our words, and by our actions. You know, we, we think about what we intended to do. We say things like, well, God knows my heart. And that may be true, but other people don't know your heart. What other people see is what you say and what you do. And actually what the Bible teaches is that from an outflow of your heart will, will be the words that you speak that the things that you do in your life will actually be an outflow of your thoughts and who you really are. So the Bible would actually teach that 
even though you may think yourself to be a kind or loving or generous person, if your words are unkind, unloving, if your actions are unkind or unloving, it doesn't really matter what we think about ourselves because our actions and our words actually prove who we really are. And as we think about who we are and the legacy we leave, we wanna think about what we do and what we say that represent who we are. And even though we're not talking about that series, Legacy, and we're not gonna be in 2 Timothy today, today we're gonna to talk about baptism, which is the Christian's way of telling the world, this is who I am. By my actions, I'm gonna show you what I believe and who I am. So here's what we're gonna to do today. We are gonna answer some questions that some of you may have about baptism. We're gonna talk about what it is, why we do it, how we do it, when we do it, and what it really means. Now, if you wanna follow along with us this morning, all the scriptures that we're gonna cover are gonna be available in the Bible app. So if you didn't follow the directions that Christy gave you just a minute ago, you can scan this QR code and it will open up the Bible app for you. And uh, either if you have the app and if you don't, it'll just open it up in a web browser and you can follow along that way. And so you may be sitting here thinking, okay, I've already been baptized, so this message isn't for me. But here's what I want you to think about. Whether you've been baptized or not, how does your life represent Jesus? How do you represent that you're a follower of Jesus by the things that you do and the things that you say? So we're gonna start by just asking this basic question, what is baptism? And to answer that question, I wanna start in a passage of scripture uh, in a letter titled Romans, and we're gonna be in the sixth chapter. And so it'll be, be here on the screen for you if you don't have your phone or your Bible app open. And here's what Paul is saying. Paul, this is actually years before he finds himself in prison in Rome writing to Timothy. Same author, but this is, he's actually writing to people who live in Rome before he goes there and is arrested. He says this, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall surely be united with him in a resurrection like his. So when we go to answer the question, what is baptism? In the simplest way, baptism is a practice that Christians do where we take an individual who's going to be baptized and they're fully immersed underwater and then they're brought back up. Many of you, even if you haven't been in church much in your life, have probably seen or know what it looks like. And an individual is completely submerged underwater and brought back up. Now, why do we do that? Well, as we looked at that passage in Romans, we do it because it represents two things. Number one, it represents what we believe about Jesus. That Jesus, after dying on the cross for our sins, he was buried. But neither death nor the grave could hold him down or defeat him. And on the third day, he rose 
to new life. And so baptism represents what we believe about Jesus, that he died, he was buried, and then he was raised to life. The other thing that baptism represents is it represents what we believe about ourselves, about those who follow Jesus, that we die to ourselves, that we are no longer the master and the Lord and the God of our own life. And so we die to ourselves and we in our old life are buried. But because of our faith in Jesus, we are raised to walk in the newness of life. That baptism represents that we are united with Jesus in death and in life. So that's what baptism is. So the next question, which we've hinted at so far, is why do we do it? Why is this even something Christians do? Where did this idea even come from? Well, we do it because one, Jesus modeled it, and two, because Jesus commanded it. Let's look at these two passages together. So this first one is when Jesus models it. And he goes up to a guy named John who's been baptizing people in the Jordan River. And Jesus says, I want you, John, to baptize me. And so it says in verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he, that's John, consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus goes to John. John had been baptizing people in the Jordan River. Uh, the, the, the act of baptism is something that Jews did even prior to Jesus as a way to symbolize their commitment to the Lord. And John was baptizing people um, who were committing themselves to follow God and to wait for the promised Messiah, for the promised anointed one, for the promised Christ to come. They were waiting for Jesus to come and committing themselves to follow this Christ whenever he showed up. And Jesus shows up and says, John, time to baptize me. I'm starting my ministry. This is the beginning of Jesus's public ministry. And John had the same response all of us would have. Uh, I don't think so, Jesus. You should probably be baptizing me. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. This is a part of the plan. We need to do this. And so Jesus modeled baptism for us. And he also commanded it. So Matthew 3 that we just looked at was the beginning of Jesus's public ministry. And this is the end. Baptism bookends Jesus's ministry. This is what Jesus says just before he leaves earth and returns to heaven. Truly I say to you, to all of his followers, whatever, that is not the right passage. So I'm gonna read it for you <laughs> because that is not the correct passage. So Matthew 28, not 18, is what it should have been. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that's how Jesus bookends his public ministry. He begins it by getting baptized as an example to us, and he ends it by commanding baptism. He tells all of his followers, hey, as you go to all the nations around the world, telling them the good news of what I've done for everyone, I want you to make disciples. I want you to make more followers of me, and I want you to baptize them. And so Jesus not only modeled it, but he commanded it. So how is it done? Well, we've already touched on this a little bit, but baptism is primarily by full immersion in water. So the word baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, which literally means to immerse or to dip or to dunk. So baptism is not a Christian word that was invented for Christians or by Christians. It was a Greek word that was already used uh, throughout the culture and uh, the environment. To baptize something meant to immerse it or to dip it or to dunk it. And because that's what Christians were doing, they took that word. In Matthew 3, we already read this passage. We know that Jesus was fully immersed in water because in that passage we read that when he came up out of the water, the heavens opened up and they heard God's voice from heaven. In Acts chapter 8, we're going to look at this together. Um, what's happening in Acts chapter 8 is there is a follower of Jesus named Philip. He's traveling along and on the road and here comes this chariot and he overhears a guy inside the chariot. This guy is actually from Ethiopia and he hears him reading from the Old Testament in the Bible. And so Philip calls out to him and he goes, hey, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand that? And the guy from Ethiopia is like, can anyone understand this? And so then Philip's like, let me, let me come in and explain it to you. And so if you've ever felt confused when reading the Old Testament, like, I don't understand this, just know you're in good company. Sometimes it can be hard to understand, but Philip is going to help him out. And so then Philip opened his mouth and began with this scripture. He told him the good news about Jesus. The Greek word for good news, euangelia, is the word that we translate gospel. He tells him the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. He shows him how the scriptures are about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And this eunuch from uh, Ethiopia said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they had came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Now, while there's a lot of things we could talk about here, the point I want to make is that they saw a body of water and they went down into the water again because baptism is about being immersed in water. Here's another one, just showing examples of how baptism was done in the New Testament. So John, who earlier we read about, he was baptizing and he baptized Jesus. Here we just get this description that John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. Again, because the primary mode of baptism that's modeled in the New Testament is that of immersion, of com being completely submerged under water. At Element Church, this is our primary and preferred mode of baptism. 
Now, some of you grew up in church traditions that they didn't fully immerse people. Maybe they poured water or sprinkled water over their heads. At the end of the day, the mode about which baptism is done is not the most important thing. The most important is what it represents and what it means. Now, our preferred method at Element Church, and the only one that we've ever done here, is by full immersion, fully underwater and then back up because that's what's modeled in the New Testament, that's what Jesus did, and that's what the word means. Now, there could be a situation where certain health conditions prevent a full immersion from taking place. And in that instance, we would find an alternate method of baptizing. But at Element Church, our primary and preferred mode is by full immersion. So that's how we do it. So when do we do it? When should someone be baptized? Well, baptism is for those who have heard the message of Jesus, that good news, the gospel of Jesus about his life, his death on the cross, his burial and his resurrection and have believed. So notice in Matthew 28, when Jesus commanded baptism, it was tied to making disciples, which assumes and necessitates belief. With the Ethiopian in Acts chapter eight, it wasn't until Philip explained to him the scriptures, showed him how the Bible points to Jesus as the only source of salvation that he came to believe and then was baptized. And then I'll show you just one more example in the New Testament, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 30. says, so let me give you some context before I read it, because it may be a little strange. So Paul, we've already talked about him several times. We know that he was executed in Rome, imprisoned for his faith in Jesus and his preaching activities. It's not the first time, not even the second time he had been arrested or persecuted for his faith and his religious uh, obedience. He's in uh, an ancient city of Philippi and he has been arrested for his uh, ministry work there. He's been arrested, he goes to prison, he begins to pray and to sing all night long and then an earthquake happens and the jail doors break free. The jailer runs up, realizes that because of the earthquake, the jail cells have all opened and he realizes all the prisoners are going to be released. And Paul tells him, don't worry, none of us are going anywhere. You're not going to be in trouble. We're all still here. And because that jailer had been hearing Paul talk about Jesus and sing about Jesus and pray to Jesus all night, this event was sort of that final straw that made him go, whatever you got, Paul, I want it. I want to be saved. I want to follow Jesus. So he brings Paul out and he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds because Paul and his companions before they were arrested had been beaten. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So again, we see that baptism follows belief. That once we believe in Jesus, in the good news of who he is and what he has done, 
then baptism follows because it represents not only what we believe about Jesus, but it represents what we believe about ourselves. And so baptism makes most sense for people to be baptized if they've already come to the place of belief, if they've already died to themselves, if they've already received new life in faith from God, then baptism doesn't just represent what we believe about Jesus, but now what we rep it represents what we believe about ourselves. Now, depending on what church tradition you grew up in, some of you grew up in a tradition that baptized infants or babies to dedicate the child to the Lord. It's a baptism of hope or promise that one day we trust they will come to believe in and follow Jesus. At Element Church, we don't do baby or infant baptism. Instead, what we do is something called child dedication, where we take our children and we dedicate them to the Lord. That we make a commitment that we will raise our children to love and serve and follow the Lord. And we save baptism until they get old enough to make that decision for themselves. And so here's the last question I want to ask and answer. What does it mean? And we, in many ways, we've already answered this question. Baptism symbolizes our union with Christ represents and symbolizes what we believe about Jesus and what we believe about ourselves. You can think of it this way, and I've used this for years to explain baptism, especially to people who are younger because it makes a lot of sense. Baptism in many ways is like my wedding ring. This does not make me married. It only represents that I am. Baptism will not make you right with God. God is not some genie in a bottle who's there to just serve your needs or who's just expecting you to follow some magical formula to accept you. God's not interested in your religious to-do list. God wants you in your heart. He wants you to believe in him and commit to following him. I can take this ring off and I'm still married to my wife. And I could give this to someone who's unmarried and it doesn't matter if they put this on. It doesn't make them united to my wife or to anyone else. Baptism is not a magical formula. It doesn't make you right with God. It represents that you've already been made right with God. We are made right with God because we come to the place that we believe in his resurrection. We confess him to be the Lord, the King, the master, the God of our life. And we commit to following him. That's what makes us right with God. Baptism tells the rest of the world, this is who I am. Just like we talked about, at your funeral, people will not talk about your thoughts. They will not talk about your intentions. They won't even talk about what you thought about yourself. They'll talk about what you said. They'll talk about what you did. Baptism tells the world, this is who I am. We already read Romans 6, 3 through 5. This is the first scripture we read. I want to read it again. And then we're going to read the next five verses that we didn't read earlier. 
Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. That's where we stopped earlier. Let's keep reading. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that, with, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The problem that we all suffer from is that we're all under a death sentence. Not just physically, though we will all die one day, but spiritually. Because of sin, we've been separated from our creator. Sin is when we live in direct opposition and disobedience to what God has called us to do and who God has called us to be. And because God is the creator of the universe, when we sin against him, we commit cosmic treason and the penalty is death. But Jesus defeated death, which means by trusting in him, confessing him as our master, our Lord, our savior, our God, and by following him, Death no longer reigns over us. Spiritual death has been defeated. We now have new life. A life that continues even after physical death takes hold of us. It's the eternal life that Jesus offered. It's the everlasting full life that Jesus promised. So there's a couple kind of people who could be sitting in here today. One is, you have never trusted in Jesus. Maybe you believed certain facts about him. Maybe mentally you could agree to certain religious or theological or doctrine statements. But in your heart, you never come, you've never come to the place in believing that his death on the cross was for your sin. That his resurrection defeated death and offers new life to you. You've never come to the place that once you believe that you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, that he is your savior, that he is your master, that he is your king, that he is your God. And you have never committed to following him with your life. If that's you, then this moment is your moment. This day is the day of salvation for you. When that jailer came up to Paul and he said, what must I do to be saved? 
Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus. That's the call to you today. If you have never believed, today is your day to believe and to confess. Maybe you have done that before, but you've never been baptized. Then that's your next step. Jesus said, go make disciples and baptize them. Step number two. If you've never been baptized, it's time. Maybe you were baptized at some point in your life, but maybe it was, it was before you were even a Christian, or maybe it was forced upon you by someone else. And maybe today you say, I, of my own choosing, because now I know what it means, because I now trust Jesus for myself, I want to be baptized like what's talked about in the Bible, then let's get you baptized. Maybe you have already come to the place to believe, confess, and follow Jesus, and you've been baptized. Then my challenge to you is to think about your life. And what about your life tells the rest of the world, I follow Jesus? What about the things you say and the things you do? Scream, I am a follower and disciple of Jesus. And with those thoughts, I want to close in prayer. Lord, thank you for this moment that we have just to be here in your presence, to be reminded of your love for us, that even though we didn't deserve it, you died for us, that you defeated sin in the grave so that you could give us new life, eternal life, life to the fullest. Would you speak to our hearts today, Lord? Whatever that next step is for us, would you give us the courage and the boldness to take that step, to take that step in faith, in courage, to do what you've called us to do and to be who you've called us to be. I want you to keep your eyes closed for a minute. I just want to give you a few moments to yourself, just you and the Lord. Let him speak to you right now. Maybe right now is that moment. It's time to give your life to Jesus. Believe in him, confess him, follow him. There's no magic words. There's no magic formula. God's not asking for your religious to-do list. He's asking for your heart. Would you give him your heart and your life this morning? Right now, right where you sit. Or maybe there's something else that the Lord is saying, it's time. It's time for you to do this or it's time for you to make a change here. Would you commit now to do whatever it is that he's calling you to do, putting on your heart? If it's baptism, if that's the next step for you, I'll tell you at the end of the service what you can do and, and how we can make that happen. Baptism represents for us what it means to be united to Jesus. Communion represents what it took for us to be united to Jesus. The night before Jesus was executed on the cross, 
he took some bread and he broke it with his disciples and he said, this represents my body which is broken for you, meaning what was about to happen to him on the cross. Then he took a cup of wine and he said, this now represents my blood that will be poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Baptism represents what it means to be united to Jesus. Communion represents what it took to be united to him. And as you respond to who Jesus is and the way he's moving in your heart right now, as we stand and sing together to celebrate the goodness of God, the communion table is available in the back if you'd like to partake and make that a part of your worship response this morning. Lord, thank you. Thank you for doing what it took and for giving us baptism that reminds us of what it means to be united to you. Give us the courage to follow you, whatever it is that you're calling us to do.